What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, November 30th, 2022. It's about 2.30 in the afternoon here on the East Coast of the United States. Our guest today needs no introduction. Scott Ritter, of course, is a foremost authority on intelligence and military matters and one of our regular go-to guys here on the show. And of course, as all of you watching know, and have made him this a fan favorite. Scott, uh, welcome back to Judging Freedom. It's always a pleasure uh, to have you on. Thanks for having me. So uh, where do we stand in the uh, war uh, in Ukraine now, or the military uh, expedition, whatever we're going to call it this week? Uh, winter is coming. Some of the ground uh, is frozen. Uh, Kiev goes through these uh periods of time where it has no water, no electricity, and no heat. Today, they announced the water and the electricity uh, are are back. Have the uh, Russian conscripts arrived yet? Have they been adequately trained? Give us your take on where things are this last day in November of 2022. Well, we'll just start first and foremost. Um, the world is bearing eyewitness to the death of a nation, and it's tragic, the death of Ukraine. Um and it's just going to get worse. There's nothing the Ukrainian government can do to stabilize the situation. Uh, the Russian attacks, uh, if they continue, again, I'm not, I'm not a targeteer for the Russians, so I can't tell you what they're going to do. But um, logic implies that uh, they're going to continue a strategic air campaign that's having um, uh, an extraordinarily detrimental impact on uh, the Ukrainian state and the Ukrainian government, Ukrainian morale and Ukrainian ability to sustain uh, resistance. So, you know, we're, we're seeing this part. Then um, on the battlefield, uh, just a quick correction. They're, they're not Russian conscripts. <laughs> These are reservists. These are people who served. So it's not like you're taking some kid off the street who's never served. You're taking guys who have done a full term of contract service between four and six years. Um, and uh, they've received refresher training, depending on how long they've been out of service. Uh, around 87,000 of them have already been um, rolled up into the forces on the ground. They are plugging gaps in the defense. They've solidified the defensive line. Uh, there are no more Ukrainian breakthroughs. I mean, there's just a lot of dead Ukrainians, dead Poles, dead mercenaries. Um, and well, let, me, the- let me stop you. Dead, dead Poles. Are there Polish troops on the ground in Ukraine fighting with the Ukrainians against the Russians? No, tens of thousands, and thousands have died. Wow. And that has not triggered anything from the rest of NATO by way of troops on the ground. No, because the Poles aren't there as Polish troops. They're there. Um, they've been, in, in, in the United States, we call it sheep-dipped, meaning uh, they, they, they basically take off their Polish uniforms. They get dipped in, uh, 
in Ukrainian uniforms, and then they go forward. But they are they fight as Polish units. I interviewed um, a, a senior Russian commander, uh, actually a Chechen, um, Opti um, Adul. I'm going to butcher his last name, but um, he um, and he said, "Look, he's in the Lugansk front." He says, "What well, you know? We used to you know we listen to the chatter all the time, the radio traffic." He said, where we used to hear Ukrainian voices, all we hear now is French, English, and Polish. That's all we hear, Polish, Polish. And the dead bodies are just piling up. Poles have acknowledged uh, so far over a thousand bodies have been returned to Poland. It's becoming a problem because the Polish people are starting to ask questions. Why so many, uh, why so many dead Poles? What, you know, are we at war? Um, imagine America uh, engaged in a conflict that we weren't being honest with the American people and a thousand bodies came home. What what other country has troops on the ground uh, wearing Ukrainian uniforms besides uh, Poland? Uh, Romania. There's a lot of Romanian troops um, that are there, um, Polish troops. Uh, and both those, I believe, those are part of official policies, meaning that the Romanian government and the Polish government have an official policy where um, active duty soldiers can be sheep dipped and turned into Ukrainian soldiers um, on a voluntary basis. Um, but, uh, then we have, you know, literally hundreds, if not thousands of French, British, Canadian, American, um, citizens, people with prior military experience who are in Ukraine, uh, on U S government funded contracts, they're private military contractors, um, and their money's coming from the U S government. And I just, it, <laughs> We're at war. Uh, we, we are at war. <laughs> why, is it, why is it that uh, the Polish government doesn't see the futility of this? I can understand the Ukraines wanting to fight to the uh, bitter end. They have hope. It's uh, not much of hope, but they have hope. But what's in it for the Poles? Don't they see that Russia is going to prevail? And don't they see that they're just wasting uh, innocent lives and material. I can't speak for the polls, uh, but I, you know, I, I, I try to put myself in their shoes and, uh, and, and, and find some sort of logic. And here's the logic that I can come up with. The polls at some point in time are going to make a play for Western Ukraine, for Lvov and, um, and, and other uh, territories and cities that used to be Poland back before 1939. And in order to do that, uh, the Polish army has zero combat experience, zero. It's a, it's, it's a conscript military. Um, they're, they're not professionals. Uh, and what Poland's doing right now is getting a crash course in, 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 in combat readiness. They're sending troops in. They're being blooded on the battlefield. They're learning to fight Russians. They're learning about Russian tactics, et cetera. And when the time comes, these troops will be pulled out of the front sent to Western Ukraine, and they're already there. They're not going to be crossing the border from Poland into Ukraine. They're already in Ukraine, and they right, can so overnight. You're, you're, you're suggesting that part of the reason for the Polish presence, or maybe the principal reason uh, for the Polish military presence in Ukraine, is to occupy the Western portion of it once the Russians leave. Is that a fair summary of what you just said? Yeah, it's the only logic I can find, because otherwise you're just sacrificing troops for no for no reason. There's no reason to send your troops into eastern Ukraine where they're literally being slaughtered. Yes, they're getting combat experience, but they're being slaughtered by the Russians. Um, 
the only reason I can see to do this is that you're blooding them, you're getting combat experience, and you will have the troops on the ground already when the time comes to convert back to being Polish controlled. How, um, how professional has the Russian military become? I mean, my understanding is that before this war, uh, the Russian military was essentially defensive and prepared for defensive incursions by NATO. Now, this is a major offensive incursion by the Russian military. Has this changed the Russian military at all? I mean, stated differently, has American military aid to Ukraine actually made the Russians better fighters? Yeah, they, look, Russia up until 2008 was, as you said, primarily a defensive um, uh, organization, especially when it came to Europe. They There was no... They had decommissioned their tank armies, their combined iron army. They were primarily a brigade-type force where you had brigades that could go do small wars here there. The war with Georgia was an eye-opener for them because these Russians went up against Georgian infantry that were trained by Marines. Now, I'm bragging a little bit here, but uh, the Marines trained them well. And the Russians We trained the Georgians, so we trained a Georgian brigade, and they, uh, they performed outstandingly in terms of the small unit tactics, maneuver, communications, things that make infantry units look knack professionally, the Georgians were doing. The problem is they didn't have any heavy artillery or tanks and the Russians just steamrolled them down. You can be good infantry, but if you aren't backed up with, you know, with, with nice artillery and tanks, you're going to get rolled. And the Georgians got rolled, but the Russians took a lesson from that saying qualitatively, man for man, the Georgians were better than the Russians. And that means that NATO's better than the Russians. And they said, we have to change that. So from 2008 to 2014, Russia underwent one of these dramatic uh, you know, defense reviews. They reorganized their military. They went back to these uh, tank armies, these operational mobile groups. They began to practice offensive war. They re-equipped themselves, new communication, uh, new uniforms, new everything. That's why in 2014, when the Russians went into Crimea, the whole world woke up and went, whoa, what, what just happened here? The little green men, you've heard about the little green men. Well, the little green men were all over Crimea looking and acting like really professional troops. And the West went, there's something going on here. And then in 2014, as the Ukrainians tried to steamroll into Donbass, some Russian units got engaged, artillery units and army units, and they wiped the slate with the Ukrainians, just took them straight out. And again, NATO was like, this is impressive. And the Russians have only been getting better ever since. But again, they haven't done the large scale offensive operations. What's happening now, there's an outstanding trilogy written by uh, Rick Atkinson um, about the U.S. Army in World War II. And I see so many parallels between the story he tells from North Africa up until D-Day and then moving into Berlin and what's happening with the Russians right now. The Russians are becoming a professional, offensively oriented military that does war better than anybody on this planet. doesn't mean they're perfect. They do war. And doing war means you take your lumps, you absorb them, you adapt, you move on. Uh, there's no such thing as the perfect military machine where everything runs right. But the Russians right now have a system where they are adapting. They are learning. Uh, it's right, all about artificial intelligence. And they're just sitting there learning and keep learning. I want you to repeat what you just said about the what, what the Russians are becoming. I want to make sure I heard it correctly, Scott. Are they becoming, have they become the best 
offensive uh, ground military in the world? Today, yes, because the U.S. has lost it. There was a time when, I mean, what the U.S. did in, in Iraq, both times, both in 1991-2003, that, that's offensive warfare. That's putting a large amount of tanks, armor, moving the logistics. Oh, we can't do that today. We forgot how to do it because of Afghanistan and the counterinsurgency conflict in Iraq. We broke our military. So we're, we're no longer on the playing field. The Russians weren't on the playing field, but they're now on it, and they are learning how to do this. The proof will be in the pudding. When, when okay, here's, here's troops show up on the battlefield, we'll find out if they can take theory and make it reality. But right now, right, here's they're where better I want to go in the conversation. Place. Here's where I want to go in the conversation. You have argued uh, that the American um, military equipment that we're sending is coming not just from our surplus, but from our substance. Now you have argued that because of the Russian uh, experience in Georgia, uh, Crimea, and now in eastern Ukraine, uh, the Russian military has become the best on-the-ground infantry fighting force in the world. Combined arms fighting force. Okay, okay. I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, that's all right. Does the Pentagon know this, and does the White House know this, and does the State Department know this? Again, I'm not sitting there, so I can't I can't answer this definitively. They they're in a position to know this. I I would tell you what well, is, your, would, is your opinion of this a, a, an outlier, or is your opinion of what mainstream military and former military? I know you're always a Marine. Uh, observe when they look at this. I have the same training they do. So what I'm seeing. I'm, you know, I'm not spinning. I'm not coming in from as an outlier. I'm coming in from somebody who has been schooled in the art of maneuver warfare. And right. the people that are out there receive the same training, the same experience, et cetera. So they're seeing the exact same thing I'm seeing. And they're looking at the U.S. Army and they're saying that can't compete. I'm not, you know, individually, the U.S. soldier is supreme. He's a good soldier, good physical fitness, all that kind of stuff. But to tur turn them into an armored brigade with sustainable combat efficiency. I'm not talking about one day clash in Japan stuff. I'm talking about grinding it out on the battlefield um, and sustaining that. They can't do it. The Russians can. Um, I would love to go to the, the, um, the to, to Fort um, Leavenworth. They have a uh, an army school. We used to call them the Jedi Knights, the School of Advanced Military Studies, SAMS. Uh, they have the majors course and then they have the lieutenant colonel's course. And they always, I'm betting you a dime to the dollar that they are doing nothing but studying what's going on in Ukraine right now. And I would love to be able to sit in with the majors as they sit there and plot this out and game it out. And they're all, all of them are sitting there going, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this, any army officer worth his salt is looking at this saying, holy beep, right. 80,000 right. rounds of artillery. How the heck do we begin to operate under that kind of fire, we don't have the sufficient counter battery capability to, to knock it out. We bring up our artillery. We might make a couple of victories. They're going to grind us down. We got nothing. They all Scott, have to be saying this. <laughs> I am fascinated by this uh, analysis. And if I take it to the next step, and I don't, I, I know you won't go where your intellect won't take you. The American ability to defend the U.S. has been weakened 
and the Russian ability to engage in offensive warfare has been strengthened by the American military delivery of equipment to Ukraine. Agreed? At the point of contact, yes. Remember this, Russia's operating on interior lines of communication with relatively, comparatively short logistics uh, you know, lanes. So their, their logistics hubs that sustain them are right next door to where they're fighting. The United States is unsurpassed in its ability to project power. Remember, any combat we would be engaged in in Europe, we have to go back to the United States. We have to flow this equipment in. And we can do that better than the Russians can. So it's not like Russia is going to leave Ukraine and suddenly invade Europe. Can't do that. Russia is capable of winning a conflict in Ukraine. Uh, but Ru- the Russian military is not organized, equipped, and, and prepared to do World War II-type deep you know, in operations in Europe. So okay. I don't think that NATO is under threat. The, the notion that NATO is going to fold and the Russians are coming in, I don't see that. I just see that in Ukraine, the point of contact, Russia is unbeatable. Is it more likely than not that the Pentagon, the State Department, and the Oval Office are getting intelligence reports that have the conclusions in them that you have just presented to our audience? Or are we still back to where the senior intel people are telling Joe Biden and uh, Anthony Blinken and uh, and Lloyd Austin what they think they want to hear rather than what's really happening on the ground? No, I think I, I think we it's it's interesting to watch the, um, the 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 temperament of the people speaking today. To give you an example, yes. General General Clark is a retired four-star general, Wesley Clark, commander of NATO forces, etc. And he has been <laughs> embarrassing himself over the course of the past several months about how bad the Russians are. They they can't tie their shoes. They can't chew gum and walk. They can't do this. But Is he's he changing his mind. Oh, Is he, he changing his mind? Yeah, he came on the TV and he stared in the camera with this, this, this big wide-eyed stare. And he said, Ukrainians been lured into a trap in Bakhmut by the Russians and they're going to all die, and the Russians are going to win, and there's nothing they can do to stop it. I'm like, well, General, this has always been the case. You should have known this, but you were you were obeying your CNN masters. Now he's right. actually seen the truth, and you see that with everybody. There's not a single professional in the dip- diplomatic corps. They're desperate for a negotiated settlement because they know, they keep saying this will be solved on the battlefield. They know that it is Ukraine loses. So they're looking for a diplomatic off-ramp. Nobody wants to see this thing through. Nobody's talking about realistic sustainability into the summer. We have nothing left to give. Nothing. <laughs> All right, Gary, uh, put up the map of Ukraine, please. Okay, so the the red area says do not travel. This is, this is a, a, a map from some travel service, but it's a good, easy, readable map. We can see where Kiev is up north, but more or less, it's the capital, but more or less in the middle uh, of the country. How far west uh, are the areas where uh, the Russian military is beyond where the red is? Or have they occupied the, the next provinces that you see there? Here's yeah, there's still, if, if you go up from uh, Crimea, there's Kherson uh, uh, province or oblast. Um, where the town is, Kherson, you have the Dnieper River, and you follow the Dnieper River up. The Russians are on the right-hand side 
uh, as you're looking at the map, the right hand side. So that should all be red up through uh, Zaporizhia. And then then the then the map will turn over uh, where in Donetsk, where it it shows Donetsk, there's a a good chunk of um, of Donetsk, the western part of Donetsk that's still controlled by the Ukrainians. And that's where the um, for instance, you see the town in the airport says uh, Kramatorsk. That's under Ukrainian control. That's what's so important about the Battle of Bakhmut right now is that uh, if the Russians take Bakhmut, they penetrate the defenses and they put Kramatorsk under risk and all of Donetsk under risk. But so there's still part of Western Donetsk that is under Ukrainian control, but pretty much all of Zaporizhia and the parts of Kherson that are on the right hand side or the eastern side of the Dnieper River are under the control of Russia. How far west do they want to go? Do they want to go west of the Dnieper River? I'm talking about the Russian military. Yeah, if you if you look over, um, if you go all the way over, you see where Odessa is, and then um, you go to the left where the where the yellow border is. There's a, a a dashed line there, and that dashed line is where Transnistria is. That's a Russian, uh, a, uh, a pro-Russian enclave, part of Moldova. And the Ukrainians have been making noises saying that um, you know, they may attack Transnistria to uh, to draw the Russians in. So I believe that the Russians have to. Um, occupy this the southern rump of Ukraine all the way up to Odessa to secure the Transnistria region. And then I also believe at the end of the day they're going to basically take um, Kharkov and uh, Dnepropetrovsk and um, you know who knows if they take Sumy. I, I don't think so. But Ukraine, will, Ukraine will be landlocked. Yes, and that'll be the end of the Ukrainian economy. There will be no Ukrainian industry worthy of the name. Ukraine will become a agricultural based economy. Uh, with you know, it, 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 forever trapped in poverty, as I said, we're witnessing the death of a nation as we speak. Okay. What what um, uh, what negotiating uh, levers can President Zelensky pull? What does he have to offer? His, his resistance is about to collapse. What well, what would he or what would his foreign minister say to President Putin's foreign minister if they were to sit down with Anthony Blinken uh, in Geneva next week? <laughs> There's nothing they can say. They'd have to be listening. Uh, the Russians would say, uh, everything that we've annexed is ours. You get nothing back. Um, that means you have to get out of the territory that belongs to us. We annexed the whole thing. Even though your troops are there, they're gone. Don't debate us or we'll kill you. I mean, but basically, this is not a negotiation. This is a dictation of terms. And then the Russians will say, if you want to keep Odessa, um, you have to demilitarize. And if you want to stay in power in Kiev, you have to you have to change your constitution to get rid of the, the, the far right wing parties. The denazification has to be real. You can never be part of NATO ever. Um, and, you know, there'll be other treaty related things, but it's basically the Ukrainians have to sit there and listen and pray that the Russians don't move. Because if Russia moves out of the four areas that they've already annexed, whatever they occupy, Ukraine will never get back. That's what the Ukrainians all right, we have 40,000 um, American active duty in uniform troops, some of them 101st Airborne, others belonging to other uh, entities uh, in Poland. Uh, what is the likelihood they move east and engage the Russians? Zero? Zero. Zero. It's just not going to happen. How long, much longer is this going to go on? Winter is coming. It's already winter-like in much of Ukraine, but the bitter 
cold winter for which that part of the world is well known uh, is is upon them or just about yeah here's the thing uh, as the russians advance and they're going to advance um there, there's two realities one they still are not in the business of hurting civilians so as they advance it's going to be a slow methodical advance that's designed to minimize civilian casualties two as they advance and they and they retake these civilian areas the Russians have to bring in services to these people. These people live in devastated areas. The Ukrainians don't care about them. They don't care about them at all. They've abandoned them. Um, the Russians will come in. The Russians have to bring in the gas. They have to repave the roads, clear the roads, bring in electricity, um, which means that the Russian advance is going to be slowed by the necessity of taking care of civilian populations as they move. And the, and the last thing is, even though the Russians are probably, you know, I think the numbers are going to be between 500,000, 700,000 Russian troops that are going to be available for this next phase of the operation. But as you expand, right now, they're in a constrict, constricted area. Looks pretty good. But as you expand, the frontage grows. As the frontage grows, those 700,000 troops not only get spread along the expanding front, but they have to secure the rear. And 700,000 troops go away real quick. So the, the Russians don't have unlimited capability whatever they're going to do they have it has to be targeted um and focused and kept within uh, the realm of the possible because sometime in late spring there's going to be about forty thousand fresh ukrainian troops coming out of the nato uh training pipeline now that's not an earth-changing number but it's enough to give russia a bloody nose if russia makes the mistake again of having too thin of a line having overextended its forces so the russians have to be thinking not only about what's going on now, but what's going to happen a couple months from now. They have to be thinking in that direction. And I believe these guys are, they go to military academies. They're some of the finest uh, intellectual warriors out there. And if I'm sitting here thinking that, I can guarantee you the Russian staff officers also thinking the same thing. So I think whatever we see come out of Russia in terms of offense is going to be uh, slower than most people anticipate. Somehow we think this is going to be World War II, General Patton, Operation Cobra driving through France. I think it's going to be slower. It's going to be more methodical. And it's going to be deadly as you know what for the Ukrainians. This you is think it's going to go at least through the spring. You don't see a quick Russian victory. No, I, I don't see the Russians. I, I actually, I think this has the and real potential. Victory would mean... Zelensky's on the phone with Joe Biden saying, get me some sort of peace talks in Geneva. That's how I'll yeah. define victory. Well, I, I see there's two things. There's military victory, then there's political victory. I think the Russians will achieve military victory by the end of next summer. Um, but do you, and think then they'll negotiate, you think there'll be negotiations before that? Again, no negotiation. It'll be the, 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 the Zelensky government has to, or whatever replaces it, <laughs> has to decide whether or not they're going to show up on the battleship Missouri and Tokyo Bay, because that's the only negotiation. Okay, here's an interesting political question. Is he replaced by people harder and farther to the right than he is, the sort of uh, neo-Nazi crowd that wants to fight to the last drop of blood? Or is he replaced by uh, more uh, rational people who realize that for a portion of Ukraine to survive, they better stop fighting? If he gets replaced, I believe he'll be replaced by military professionals who have come to the realization that continued resistance is futile. All that's going to happen is more troops are going to die. 
more territory is going to be lost. And the best thing is to preserve as much of Ukraine as possible. Scott Ritter, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.